0: Hey everybody, you got Wayne Dorban and Kate Armstrong, our very special guest that's here with us today. Kate, say hi to everybody.
1: Hi there. Good to see you. Glad you're here. All right.
0: Very cool. Um, And we've got Mark um, B. from Bangladesh helping. We might have Areeb coming on here a little bit um, to help. And we've got all of you. And again, please, let's make this a fun hour or so. You guys interact with Kate. Put your questions up on the question area at the end. If any of you want to come online and, and say hi or ask a question live, we can do that. Kate's got a great presentation for us here. Not quite the way we'd hoped because she was going to actually take the screen and draw some some circles around things and point some things out to you. I think she's going to show you some things on the plants. So we're going to have to wing that a little bit where she describes it, and I'll probably do it for her. And Her webcam's not working, so you're seeing me, and all you're seeing is her name there. She would be much better to look at than me, Um, but that's where we're at. So this is a huge day for us, everybody. We have four webinars today, four live sessions. This is our first. There are three more later today, and if you don't know about those, um, send me an email. Mark put my email address up there. Most of you are members of our community, the economic action team already. You have a calendar on your website that you can get the links to all these presentations at. So you might wanna look at that and be able to uh, find the links if they're not there. You can also find them in your table of contents um, because Mark puts them up there also. So lots of ways in which you can connect and we're excited to have you here and we're gonna just get going. So Kate, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're at in the world, um, and how, why this whole, this whole area of foraging is something that's of interest to you.
1: Well, Wayne, I'm now in the urban area in Denver, Colorado. Normally, um, I would be found outside um, because I love to find all these spring wild edibles that are right in my backyard and along the sidewalks, in the alleys, in the parks. Of course, I have to be a little careful about where, who is spraying what. However, um, we can start this uh, by letting you know that I grew up on a small diverse farm in the 50s when we still uh, grew and produced about 90% of what we ate. And I had a mom and a grandmother and a grandfather who grew up in the Smoky Mountains. So every time we went out walking, it was a lesson in here, pick this, pick that, taste this. And um, since I have all that information and I'm now in the city, I would like to pass that on to people because as long as there's anything growing out there, we really do have food.
0: Well, that is so awesome. Um, Kate and I met. Gosh, I'm losing track of time, but I think it could be seven or eight years ago. Um, met her at a conference. I actually asked her if she would come out to our ranch sometime and do a do a walk with us and show us some of our edible food. And we found a time when she could do that when we were having an event that we call to celebrate sustainability. That's in the fall every year. And Kate, by the way, we're on our sixth. We'll have our seventh annual coming up this year in the fall. Um, and I think you were maybe at the second one that we did, and so um, she did that. She was just the hit of the day. People were able, and it was in the fall, and it was probably not the best time actually because all all the flowering had already occurred. And and you know a little bit later here in Colorado, probably in a month would be just an amazing time because there's so many of our plants that have flowered, and and you can probably un, you know she can show you all kinds of things, but. That's how we met, and she is really really good at um, at what she's going to talk about so we'll spend a few minutes just letting you get to know her a little bit, and then she's got a presentation for us here so I'm going to ask you probably six or seven questions Kate they're going to kind of be fun um, and and one of them may be a little bit more a little more tough, but uh, most people I have done this with really enjoy it so let's start out with this one tell us about a person that is that's in your life that had a big influence on you related to this whole um, foraging circumstance? And, and, and it may have been, you already mentioned it, with your grandfather or whatever. But just tell us about that person and, and what, what it is that they did to, to influence you in this area.
1: Well, my grandfather is the one I would talk about. He actually started the botany department in Furman University a long time ago. And um, when I was a child, he came to visit us on the farm, and he would take us for walks. And I was the one who apparently was the sponge because I even have mental pictures of him telling me things and showing me things. And uh, it was that kind of information from the wild plants that really impressed me and that I've kept till now.
0: Very cool. What about more recently, either a book that you've read, um, something on the internet, a person, anybody in the recent past that's also influenced you that you could tell our
1: group about? Well, I have started to go visiting other urban foragers in various cool. places. And one of the ones that I had a good time with was Wild Man. Steve Brill in uh, New York City and he leads urban foraging in Central Park and uh, that was a very funny thing if I'd known you were going to ask that I would have included a picture of he and I together so um, that was just a couple of years ago you actually Wayne have influenced me greatly I love what you're doing and I'm so glad we're back in contact I do want to come do some more of your Uh, events out at the ranch and um, my own friends I would be walking around with various friends and then I would say oh look at this look at that and they were the ones who said to me Kate you ought to be teaching this stuff so it's literally the people around me that have put me on this path.
0: Wow that's so cool Um, is there a book that you've read recently or or again a place on the internet that has influenced you that you could t- share with our audience. Either, And it doesn't have to be about urban foraging. Even if it's just generally about something in your life.
1: Well, I've got to say Yes Magazine has a huge influence on me. And uh, Sarah Van Gelder's book, The Revolution Where You Live, is very impressive and talks about the various people across the nation that are actually creating Um, Well, we could call it centers of aliveness and the other person that I would uh, talk about here would be Michael Brownlee uh, and all that he has taught me with his most recent class on a local food revolution where we're trying to get people to eat more things from their backyard, from their neighborhood, from their farmers market.
0: By the way, uh, Michael's going to be one of our guests at some point, um, Kate, and he and I talked about his course right before he started it, and as you know, I'm pretty busy with what I'm doing here, so I didn't get a chance to participate in it, and I I knew it was going to be great, so I'm glad that you were able to take that, and Michael will be a great guest for us at some point. So his local food movement is is just great. Mm
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, well, that's great. So I've got that, The Revolution Where You Live, um, Yes Magazine, and Michael Brownlee. And, and Mark, if you would, would you uh, put those up on for us? It's hard for me to type while I'm trying to uh, talk and think at the same time. <laughs> um, <laughs> so here's, here's another one. Um, let's pretend it, that it was a beautiful Saturday and Sunday when you were 15 years old and you could be doing anything you wanted to be doing what would we have found Kate doing?
1: Well I probably would be out I know I would be outside first of all I'm a very much an outdoor person um and 15 years old that would have meant that depending on the season I would be looking for berries or apples or other kinds of fruit I used to take my cereal bowl out in the morning, just put the cereal in it, and go to the black raspberry bushes and just pick the fruit right onto my cereal bowl and then eat it. So um, yeah, that would be what I would be doing. Or I'd be in the garden, my parents' garden. My mother always had chickens in a garden.
0: And so my next question, usually people give answers that kind of surprise us. But my guess is your answer to this one's not going to, which is, all right, let's fast forward till today. And again, it is a beautiful, just gorgeous afternoon like we can have here in the Colorado area. And you, again, don't have anything else you have to do. What would Kate be doing? And I kind of would guess I know the answer. So you
1: go ahead. Yes, yes actually. Um, I in fact came in in order to do this webinar. I was outside looking at my strawberries and um, feeding the chickens some bindweed and um, finding little baby dandelions and things. So I guess it's not a big surprise. It isn't.
0: Yeah, it isn't a real surprise. Um, what about some kind of a tool of, of any kind that that maybe over the last. Two years, one year that you've started to use, you didn't even know about, and it can be a a, a physical tool, it can be an online tool, anything that, that you could share with our audience. Something that you you just found and
1: now you're using it, and you think it's great. Well, there are actually two things. One of them is um, a phone app that talks about the wild plants and gives good pictures. And again, Steve Brill made this app. And I have found it, even though he's an East Coast person, I found it helpful here. And the second thing is, believe it or not, a good long-bladed set of heavy-duty scissors. I used to use a lot of different things when I went out foraging, and now my main tool is a good heavy pair of scissors because you can dig with them and get roots up. You can cut things off. They're sturdy enough not to break. And... um, it's about all I need other than a
0: gather basket. That is, that's a great suggestion. And, and by the way, you probably mean really good scissors, not just some cheap ones that you buy for, you know, a, a very cheap, right? Because I, I found that nothing more frustrating when you get a pair of scissors that's cheap and they, they don't cut and they don't do what you want them to do.
1: That's true, yeah. You've got to have good tools. I'm still using tools that I used when I was a kid because they still work and they're still good. Right, right.
0: Well, here's the tough question for you, and we'll end on this one, then we'll go into your presentation. Um, tell us about something that happened in your life, and you could be as specific or as broad as you want, or generic as you want to be, that at the time it was pretty negative. But now when you look back on it, you see that it really was it it, it probably has affected you in a very positive way rather than the real negativity that you felt when it happened.
1: Actually, I have to go right back to growing up on a farm. It was absolutely no fun at all to be weeding 35-foot rows of beans when I was 7 or 8 years old. It was a lot of hard work. I swore I would leave the farm and never return. And I haven't, but the information I got from that is absolutely unbelievable, and it's now a complete blessing that that is what I had as a childhood because of what I know now.
0: What a great lead-in to your presentation. Here's our guest, Kate, that just said the negative experience was weeding, and now she's going to tell us about a lot of plants that probably a bunch of you call weeds. So, Kate, why don't you just move right into it? Please, everybody, if you have questions, throw them up in the question as Kate goes along. If it makes sense to ask them while she's in her presentation, we'll do it. If, and if not, we'll wait till the end, and we'll make sure that we get them answered for you. So go ahead, Kate. I'll, you're going to have to bear with me, and you tell me when to move slides, and I will do that. And um, if you want me to circle something, just tell me something, and I'll do it, because I think that people can see my cursor as I'm doing that. uh so, yeah. We'll go and we'll just go with that
1: all right, that sounds perfect to me, Wayne. So let's go ahead and start with slide number one. Oh, that is it, Slide two. Now, what we're looking at here is you can see there's still snow on the ground, and yet here are rose hips, and particularly in the spring, if you need a little boost. Um, For your immune system you need a little vitamin C rose hips are absolutely loaded with them And these are relatively small ones in slide number three You can see that you can get rose hips If you go to the next slide Wayne There you go these rose hips are almost an inch in diameter I should have put my hand there by them They were the most enormous rose hips I ever saw and had relatively a large amount of flesh around the seeds inside so that it made a quite a nice uh, vitamin C syrup that my grandkids, my kids, myself, all of us could eat or drink and uh, boost our immune system. They're very high, as I said, in vitamin C. So here are some winter things that winter over very well and that you can pick in the spring. And then on in slide number four, the next slide, can you, can you go to, there we go.
0: Yeah, it's, Kate, it'll be, when you tell me to do a, a move, there's probably about a three or four second delay.
1: So oh good, okay. With that. That's good to know. All right. We're working this out. What you see here is the snow has just melted and underneath that snow, believe it or not, we have wood sorrel, which is also called sour grass, which is in the center of the screen. It has the little folded up leaves. Yes, you're circling it, Wayne, right there. And it uh, is a really nice addition to many different things, salads, soups, and so forth. It has a lemony taste, it is oxalis, actually, and it comes in most plants that you get from the greenhouse. You can find it everywhere, and as kids, we used to nibble on the leaves as we walked along because it created saliva in our mouth and would give us the equivalent of a drink of water and would help with dry mouth. Also, you'll see in the foreground here chives. They also can winter over at times, even in our climate. And then we'll go to the next slide, Wayne.
0: Okay, I'm moving, I'll take just a bit.
1: And here you find all kinds of little things that are growing in the early spring. If we start from the bottom of the screen, the first thing you see there is prickly lettuce, and then there's some more oxalis, with their little, they look like clover leaves. I'm holding back some grass and up at the top you will see um, a dandelion just coming in. And the interesting thing is, is when the plants are this tiny and you eat them you're getting the nutrition from the entire plant as if it was big. Because as we know from a seed Everything from the plant grows out of that little tiny seed So when you pick the little tiny greens in the spring, which is when you need them uh, You find that you get all that nutrition in a very tiny mouthful Which is an easy way to start eating wild plants And we'll go to the next slide and it'll show you a close-up of sour grass, wood sorrel, and it probably has other names as well. And as I said, this is actually oxalis. The only caveat about oxalis is if you tend to have stones, particularly kidney stones or gout or things like that, you don't want to eat many plants with oxalis. You have to cook them first so that it the oxalis is no longer Um, an an active part of it because it can combine with uric acid and and give you some problems there so um, other than that if, if you're good to go it's a great little plant I put it in fish sauce I put it in cream soups and it just gives it a little lemon lift without having a lemon so it's very pleasant and what's the next slide
0: It's like a whole bunch of different
1: ones here. Oh, yes. This is the one I would have circled, so I'm going to see how we can do that. You're around the right one. That first one that you're next to, your red pointer, that is called mallow. People think of it as wild geranium, but it's not. It's Malva neglecta, and that's
0: I screwed up. I got a back up. I uh, I didn't. I thought when I clicked my cursor, it might it might draw, but instead it uh, it moved it ahead.
1: So. <laughs> well, that's okay. But the oxalis looks. I mean, I'm sorry. Uh, the Malvin neglecta looks like it has little geranium leaves. It's not, and it doesn't taste like that at all. They're actually very delicious. The stems are delicious. The root is good. The whole plant is very edible, and I know a lot of people who put it in Greek drinks in the morning because it gives you a lot of antioxidants, and minerals, and vitamins, and so forth. Now, if you move just a little bit to the right on your screen, you'll see something that looks like little feathery, tiny leaves coming out in a a ray, a circular ray. um, down a little further away, down, 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 there, these things, these little uh, they're very thin little leaves. It's um, up and to your right.
0: Uh, okay. It looks like, looks like grass a little bit, like right here? Yeah, it looks like
1: grass, yes. There we go.
0: It. Right here it's growing out in a circle, a little circle. Okay, away.
1: those two things are actually not grass at all. They're called salsify. And when you get the salsify uh, uh, with a big root, those roots are very tasty. They used to use them in soups and stews the same way you use carrots. and. Um, I'd have to give you a picture when it's older because most people would recognize it. These are all weeds that are found almost everywhere. And then if we move directly uh, toward the top from the South Fee and just beyond the Mallow, you get up to where there's some rocket. Well, rocket at the top of the picture, there's two or three kinds, These actually are part of the mustard family, which is a huge family, and these leaves have a nice little peppery taste. Actually, they are called arugula, and you find them in the market. All of these plants were found in February growing underneath this white weed uh, row cover. You see up in the corner here, that's a white row cover, and I just picked it up, and found all these plants pulling underneath. So I thought I would show that. That's really early spring. That
0: is very cool. I have a question. When, yeah. um, when you take the, uh, the, the one that, that was the array here that you said the roots were good, so let's pretend that it's later in the year and you're pulling that up and the roots are there. Could, would, could you, you know, there'll be a little dirt on them. Could you just wipe them off with your hand? And if you felt like they weren't going in places where there were chemicals that were bad, you, would, you could just eat, eat those roots just raw just as, you, just as you found in there, or are you doing anything to prep for them?
1: Well, I think they would probably be pretty unappealing when they're raw. Okay. So what you do is you pull them, you clean the dirt off, if they're big enough, you peel them and you cook them the way you would cook a carrot or a parsnip or one of those root vegetables and it's actually the same way you could also cook dandelion roots. Um, each of them has their own flavor and uh, they are things you stew more than things you eat raw. Okay cool They're hard. So as I
0: right up here is this the arugula that were that's quite a bit of it up here at the top the, the little broader leaf yeah. this one right here
1: yep and that's the next
0: yeah. picture oh so i should go to the next one by the way is this grass over here so in, yes. in deference to the the star shape cuz i can see that it's coming out here that is actually grass right there correct
1: yes it is that's actually and
0: this a is a cool dand- grass. and this is a dandelion right here correct
1: um. Actually, that's another arugula. It's a different. Oh. Color. It's another. Oh, okay. Color. Yeah. Um, All right. The dandelion is messy looking, and it's just below that. Uh, right next to the white cover, is just this messy looking. It's it's not very well defined down there. Yeah. Okay. A little lower. Yep. Yeah. Most of this is okay. the arugula and mallow and. By the way, mallows, on the East Coast you have the mallows that um, are in marshes and marshmallow is where we actually got marshmallows from Back when we first arrived here people noticed that the Native Americans were pulling the marshmallows and then beating the root with a rock or a stick and a white, foamy substance came out and then they would put it on a log to dry and those actually are the first marshmallows.
0: And and Kate, isn't it right that even though we all say marshmallow, isn't it spelled M-A-L-L-O-W? Not L, it's not mellow. I think if you, and maybe that's a branding, but some company I think they spell it M-A-R-S-C-H-M-A-L-L-O-S, and not mellow with an A. I I think that's still accurate. Oh, yes,
1: and that's still the name of the plant. (laughs) Yeah. Aaron
0: Aaron says that marshmallow root is a delicious tea, and he also talks about, um, gives a link in here that if anybody wants to look at it for oxalic acid, which may inhibit absorption of calcium, so um, you put that in there. So are we ready to go to the next slide, Kate, or you have more on this one?
1: Nope. go right ahead. Okay. And this is one of the most beautiful examples of arugula, or rocket, as it's called um, by a lot of people, that I ever saw, so I just took it to go with that last slide because this plant is totally edible. Uh, the leaves are have a little bite to them. They're delicious added to a salad, as anyone who's eaten arugula knows. And that's just found wild. That's just out there coming up right now in most places.
0: So Kate, I know you're, somebody's going to ask this question, so I'll ask it ahead of them a little bit. You, you know obviously, you talked about your trip to new york and and you 're in denver, but i 'm sure as you 've traveled you 've foraged in other places. Are any of the things you 've talked about so far this one for example rocket arugula are they highly sort of zone dependent or would you find this even if you were foraging in in uh, Los Angeles right now or or um, new orleans let 's say
1: The the plants that I focused on for this presentation are found coast to coast and in Europe because a lot of these plants were brought here from Europe because the first settlers and the first people who explored the Americas were afraid they wouldn't have food that they knew about. So they brought seeds with them. So a lot of these are almost around the world.
0: Okay, very cool. Are we ready to move forward?
1: We are, let's go to the next one. All right. Oh, this is one of my favorite plants, and it is actually fairly hard to find in Denver. So I've taken a number of pictures of it. This is considered back east in certain places a pest. I don't at all. I love this plant. It's chickweed and as you might be able to see if you look down in there they're little teeny tiny white flowers and this soft little plant is not only beautiful in a salad it is also very good medicinal chickweed will handle rashes diaper rash skin rashes all sorts of um, minor cuts and, and abrasions And it's a plant that is absolutely fabulous in salad as well. It's very tasty, it's very mild, and the whole upper plant is edible. I don't think the root's worth bothering with. Besides, if you just cut off the leaves, then maybe it will grow back again. The caveat is, in our Denver climate, it has to be on a north side It has to be in damp ground, and the very minute it starts getting hard, hot, and dry, the whole plant will disappear. It dries right up in less than a day. So I have some growing outside of my house. And you can go to the next slide, which is another of chickweed. And I have a pot of chickweed growing outside my house because I use it for salve making. And since we can only get it for a very, very short window of opportunity in the spring in Denver I want to make sure I have enough chickweed uh, to be able to use for sack making This is one of those plants that you cannot dry It doesn't have enough um, part of its use, part of it, the things in it that make it useful Uh, go away when it's dried. A lot of things you can dry and then turn them into salves and oils and so forth but chickweed is notably one of those that you need to use it when it's um, soft and when it's fresh and if any of you are into making your own salves and oils you take the chickweed, you lay it out on newspapers and you let it wilt thoroughly and then use it after 24 hours of wilting. That gets out some of the water, but it leaves it so it's still viable in your uh, preparation.
0: By the way, just for everybody there, uh, you know, we seem that this is our technical difficulty uh, webinar. I My phone that I was using to uh, connect because my internet connection, has Mark said earlier, I was not coming clear very very clear on it. I can always come through clear on the phone. The phone went dead, and I I had to go grab another one. That's why the people watching saw me disappear from the webcam. But I I heard all of that, and you didn't ask to move to the next slide. So everything was good. So now I will. (laughs) All right. Well, we will do that.
1: Yes. This is also found almost everywhere. It's violet. And the thing about violets that a lot of people don't know is the flowers are edible and they're delicious in a salad. The leaves are also edible. And of course, the caveat here is know where you're picking your plants. And one of the reasons you see me with these pictures um, along old fences and out in alleys and things is because people don't spray out in alleys. They don't bother. And so this is very good for me. The only other thing that I watch out for is what else is in that alley. If it's an alley that has old cans and tires and things like that in it, I don't pick anything. But if it's it's an alley like behind all of these suburban houses where you don't have runoff from industry and you don't have runoff from cars and things like that, it's a pretty good place to forage. so, I showed this little picture because I wanted people to know that violets are one of your good food sources. And we can go to the next slide, Wayne. This little plant is absolutely wonderful. It's dock. It's called, um, this is probably yellow dock or curly dock. And there's also one of them that looks exactly like the rest that is also called French sorrel. And this is the one that has oxalis in it. The curly dock and the yellow dock do not. So you can tell by tasting the leaf whether or not it has that little lemony lift to it that oxalis indicates, or whether instead it's one of the other two forms of dock. All of them are edible, including their root. And one of the things that I like to talk to uh, people who are on a paleo diet or are vegetarians, vegans and so forth is that these leaves get really, really big. This is early in the spring, so they're tiny. They're very good in a salad. When they get bigger, you can actually uh, put something on the leaf, even hummus, or egg salad or what you like and roll them up and it makes a nice little green roll that you can eat and you don't have to rely on breads of any kind. Um, Don't eat too much of any of these things. When I was doing some foraging several years ago, I decided I wanted to try Doc and I made a big batch of it and ate it all and was sorry the next day just simply because I spent the day in the bathroom. All of these things are heavy duty. If you're making a salad, you only make 50% of it wild plants. These are so much stronger than the foods that we find in the supermarket or even the farmer's markets that you have to be a little bit careful because they're just loaded with nutrition but they're also going to help you detox. So I think we can go to the next slide, Wayne. This little plant is something that is amazing. It is found almost everywhere, but it did start in the Americas, I think. It's amaranth. We called it pigweed when we were kids. The pigs love it, obviously, and it grew very tall and big around the pig pens because it had so much nutrition. This amaranth, as you might be able to see on the very top, is already forming a seed head, which is very early, and it can give you something to eat very early in the spring. It's an amazing plant, and those little seed heads, once they get Ripe and they turn brown. All you have to do to harvest the seeds, the amaranth seeds, is shake them into a paper bag. And basically, um, they're not hard to use, they're not hard to find. They can, they're a cereal grain. And when Cortez and his men decimated Mexico. One of the things that they made as a forbidden plant was amaranth And if anyone was caught with amaranth, they were killed. The reason was it's a major grain crop And we've kind of forgotten that and the ones that have the big red heads that people use ornamentally in their Gardens are equally edible. They're just red instead of green. So this is a valuable plant even today, we're getting back to those wild grains again, aren't we, Wayne?
0: Yes, oh, we are. Um, you know, quinoa is becoming, you know, called a miracle grain now.
1: Well, if are we you... go to the next slide, we'll find another plant that's everywhere and also just lovely to eat. Um, I think we're going to lamb's quarters, there it is, early lamb's quarters. This is an easy plant to tell because if you turn those leaves over they have little silvery shiny um, spots on them, dots, that uh, kind of look like little tiny shiny beads. And I don't know of any other plant that has those on the backs of the leaves. This is called wild spinach. When I was growing up, it was even in the cookbooks that my mother used as a regular ingredient. And like spinach, it's very mild. It does not have oxalic acid in it. So those people who shouldn't have oxalic acid can very easily eat this plant and have that wonderful spinach green. It's good in salads, it's good uh, gently sauteed, and um, it can be used for things, everything from spanakopita to putting it into your lasagna, if you're doing a vegetable lasagna. Uh, Kids like it, and uh, what I typically do is let one lamb's quarter get really, really big. They'll grow to 10 or 12 feet high, and then I just keep cutting off old ends that are tender and they will form a meal and then they'll make double the number of ends again. You can use it for a whole family for all summer, just one plant. So it's a, it's a valuable green and you'll find them everywhere. If you go to the next slide, Wayne, I think we can see this big forest of them if I'm not mistaken. I'm out of control. Here we go. That's all lamb's quarters. (laughs) It just has come up everywhere, hundreds and hundreds of them. And uh, as you can see, the seeds, that means, they're not only very viable, but there are thousands of seeds on one plant. This is another plant where the seeds are a grain crop. And in fact, you can eat them raw. You can just eat the seed head and it's kind of a crunchy mouth feel and um, no bitterness at all. This is a very nice plant. It's a good way to start. And our next slide will give us a little more of uh, some spring beauties here in the same area. And there you see, that looks like dandelion, but guess what? It's not. That's called prickly lettuce and it's hard to tell from this picture but if you could look at the very back of that leaf that's sticking up you would see little hooks going down the whole rib on the back of that leaf and that's how you tell that it's prickly lettuce is by those little ribs and if you go to the next slide you might be able to see it a little bit better because I've compared it with dandelion Oh, no, there's the dandelion first. Okay, dandelions, as you know, grow absolutely everywhere. This is a plant that was imported by the James Bay Company, by the Hudson Bay Company, and by the pilgrims on the Mayflower. They didn't want to leave Europe without this plant, so they brought dandelions to the New World. We didn't have any here. This is actually (laughs) introduced from Europe. The reason is is dandelion is not only a fabulous survival food, it is also a very good medicine. So first thing in the spring, it's up first and if you eat some of the leaves it helps do a gentle detox and it tones up your liver and your large intestine and your kidneys and this was one of the bitters that is so important to have at the beginning of a meal. One of the reasons that we started with salads is because if you have a little bit of a bitter before the meal, you wind up booting up your gallbladder and it releases the bile into the stomach, which then digests the rest of your meal much more easily. So in Italy, they have and bitters as an aperitif. You have Swedish bitters and German bitters, but you can go in your backyard and just pick a leaf of dandelion and wind up with all the bitter you want. Now before they bloom is when they're the tastiest raw. If they have not bloomed yet, those leaves aren't bitter yet. They do have the dandelion taste, but you can easily mix them in a salad and they're not going to be offensive to anyone. You'll see at the top of the picture there is a dandelion in full bloom. It's out open flat. That's the time when you can eat the flowers. They have to be opened flat. They can't be before they've bloomed and it can't be after they've started closing up. Right at that point, they're very tasty, they're sweet. That's when you use them for wine and that's when kids like to eat them. Also, the dandelion stem is hollow and kids like to use it for a straw. So the dandelion is one of your most amazing survival food and medicine that we have. And I keep having to apologize to them for all the trouble we've caused them. So, (laughs) and then the next picture, I think, is the comparison between dandelion and Yeah, here we go. On the right is dandelion. It has deeper cuts in the leaves and um, it does not have any stem. It comes out of a rosette right in the ground, and on the left-hand side is prickly lettuce, and with I don't know if you can see it or not, but there are little hooks all the way on the back of those leaves, and it does have a stem. They're attached to a stem that Gets quite long actually. It elongates a lot. So, those are the two ways you can tell the difference. Now, you can eat prickly lettuce, but I wouldn't unless I was starving. They're really not that tasty. I've even tried sauteing them with garlic and onions and putting soy sauce on them, and they're still really not very tasty. So, edible, but not great is what I would say. Dandelions are better. (laughs) <laughs> and We can go to the next one. <laughs> oh, yes, here is a real treat. Uh, can you see the praying mantis in the middle here? Uh, this is, I have slides where I have just got all these wonderful creatures that help us out so much, and this praying mantis is literally eating the uh, bugs off of my plants, and in the background here, you will see uh, periwinkle, vinca minor. Vinca minor is an awesome remedy for any stomach upset. If you make a tea using these little periwinkle leaves, vinca minor, and include a bay leaf, and include any kind of mint or spearmint that you like, this is a very safe, effective tea for your entire alimentary canal. The bay leaf breaks up gas, the periwinkle leaves relax the intestinal system, and of course the mint sweetens your whole system. But when I was pregnant and um, having a lot of indigestion, I just kept a big jar of this tea in the refrigerator and drank it all day long because otherwise, only things that didn't upset me were canned pears and water, so that was that. And I'm going to point out one other thing in this picture. We have bindweed all through this in the background. Now, it's one of our dreaded plants for gardeners here. However, if you pull the bindweed when it's tiny, it's a very nice little addition to a salad and the flowers from bindweed which are a uh, morning glory flower are delicious in salad so even this plant you can you can eat your way to freedom from weeds in your garden if you really have an intention to do that and we can go to the next slide Wayne There we are. This is a garden experiment. I planted, oh, one little short row of mixed lettuces. This has got the sploon in it and arugula and mustard greens and all sorts of lettuces. And after I ate all I wanted to, I let them go to seed. Well, it turned into this giant bed of greens. Now all you have to do is cut these off with scissors and you have a salad, you're done. If you go to the next slide, we'll show it a little more close up of the variety of lettuces that that all seeded themselves in. This is the advantage of getting organic plants and organic seeds. They will seed themselves in. So you have this beautiful, no worry, no sweat salad growing right there in your yard Um, and all you have to do is take scissors out there and cut it off. I didn't do a thing. I didn't plant this. I just simply let the plants do what they wanted to do. So does that mean they're wild or not? Well, I'm not sure, but they sure are tasty. And we can go to the next slide. Look at all that variety. And here you have a handful of all the different greens we've been talking about. There is lamb's quarter and dandelion and amaranth and some uh, uh, bindweed. And this is what we're going to make a salad out of after I did a foraging walk around my neighborhood. And if we go to the next slide, you can see the outcome of collecting all these little fine plants. And uh, we simply sat down at the table and added, as I said, 50% regular lettuces so it wouldn't be too strong. And I don't know if you can see it, but there's even purslane in there, which is not a spring plant, but it was just coming up. And purslane is one of those wonderful, amazing plants that grow in your garden. It's a succulent. It looks like a jade plant that's flat on the ground. And um, it is up toward the top of the bowl, Wayne, a little bit over to the right. Go just right of where you are. And down a little tiny bit. And that's it. There's a little round, globularly plant up a little bit. Anyway, um, it is a beautiful plant because it is higher in omega-3. Fa- that's it, right there. Yep, it's higher in omega-3 fatty acids than any other plant and most fish. Um, if you juice it, it's very hard to keep the oil mixed in. There's so much omega-3 fatty acid in it, and it's just delicious. It has a slightly salty, slightly lemony taste. And it makes a great pesto. We will do more about purslane when we get to summer plants on another call. And we can go to the, I think the last slide. We're getting close.
0: Good timing too.
1: <laughs> so this was a. A giant salad that we made with a large weed walk that I did out in San Diego, actually, and what was added to this one also were sprouts. So but everybody loved it. It all disappeared. This, this was a, a these people had never eaten uh, wild foraged things before, and they all found it delicious. So there you are.
0: I'm going to start out the questions. By the way, thank you so much. And I know we're going to have a bunch of questions from people here. So you guys start, let your fingers go and type in some questions for us. And if anybody wants to be unmuted, put the little hand raise thing up, and I'll actually unmute you, or Mark can, and then you can actually ask a question live. But I'm going to start it out. My most – by the way, did you guys hear something right at the end there? Kate volunteered to do one for us on – other, other times of the year, and we're going to take her up on that, because I want to hear one for summer, and then we'll probably do one even in the fall, and that would be awesome if she's willing. Oh, yeah. um, so mullen, and it is so, it, it is our invasive right now that is just, just, I mean, it's, it's, in lot, it, it, it's a pain when you're dealing with it in weeding areas, and it'll persist over the winter. I had mullein that, that I didn't take out, that I'd already pulled the stems with the flowers off, but you know they were ground cover, and they were, it really was cu- quite nice in this one area, so I left it. Well, and right now, the mullein leaves are not real hairy and furry like they get later in the year. But tell us about mullein in terms of its edibility.
1: Oh, okay. Uh, I excluded the pictures of mullen they will be in the the fall or the summer one but i love mullen i'm crazy about mullen but i made a really big mistake i allowed it to grow in my yard and because i wanted to make ear oil if you take off the little yellow flowers and you put them into a jar and cover them with oil it makes one of the best safest ear oils you could ever have because it's good for babies, it's good for kids, it takes care of earwax, ear aches, ear infections. It's just a marvelous um, plant. However, well, I'll continue with how it's good. Okay, and then the leaves, well, some people call them campers toilet paper, so there's that part, there's mullen. I love this mullen. however, it is it will escape and it will cover your yard I had thousands and thousands of mullen. It took me a whole year to get the mullen out of my yard. Once I plant, let it grow in there. I didn't plant it; I let it grow. So um, the leaves are one of your better teas for an asthma attack, actually. Um, and if it's a if you need it immediately and you can't get to a doctor, you can You need to help someone with asthma. If you have some dried mullein leaves, you can turn it into a smudge, and if they breathe in those fumes from that smudge, uh, it will relieve asthma quickly on the spot. Now, that's an emergency medicine. I don't recommend it. I'm not a doctor. However, these are some of the things that we learned how to do when we were making up our own medicine cabinet. So Mullen is uh, dreadfully invasive and also a very fine plant. So way well,
0: and, and I can speak to the invasiveness of it. So let's talk about that for a second. How would, in a non-chemical way, would you recommend getting rid of it? You just have to dig it up. Um, if, if you, can you burn it late in the season? It doesn't get dry. I mean that's the other thing. It stays you know thistle will dry up at the end of the year. Mullen takes into the winter before it really dries. So
1: and of course that's the reason that people used it as torches and um, it would be used to light at night and because and, it would burn it wouldn't get dry. Yeah I'm afraid the only way that I've found to get rid of them is dig them out. They're a two-year yeah. plant. So the first year you, it won't reproduce because it's simply growing its leaves. So the ones that are in a rosette without any stem coming up, those are first year plants. In the second year, that stem comes up, those flowers go on there, and I've seen mullen be able to reproduce even when they're only about 6 inches high. And if they have good soil, they can be 12 feet high. So I went around with my Bigger and dug up that root. What they're good for is holding banks in place. When you've got a really dry situation with a gravelly bank, mullen can help hold it in place. Thing is, is when it escapes, damn, you've got mullen everywhere.
0: Yeah. Yep. And I do. Well, wow, here we've got a few, few questions, Kate. Let me go ahead and ask them for for the people that are putting them up. Tony says. What was the plant that looks like geranium but isn't? I couldn't understand the word. Can you write it so we can see how it's spelled? And and, um, we'll have Mark write it in, Tony, once once Kate tells us.
1: Okay, the plant is a mallow, M-A-L-L-O-W. And there are lots of different mallows. There's a desert mallow and and a swamp marshmallow and so forth. The botanical name is Malva, M-A-L-V-A, neglecta, N-E-G-L-E-C-T-A.
0: Okay, Mark, make sure to put that up. He's getting it. Cool. Um, so that 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 species name probably ends up. It being somewhat indicative of the fact that you don't have to pay a lot of attention to it. You can neglect it, and it will still do, it will still grow. Um, (laughs) um, All right, well, um, here's um, Leslie, who's our wonderful Spanish team member. She says, thanks, Kate, all of those I have here, which is cool. So she's saying everything you talked about. So that gives a little indication for all you folks. All of those I have here, most I knew and used. So I haven't learned some I didn't know, no. Um, also have an area of borage up at the moment. Is that one that you know about? So I don't, I'm not... B-O-R-A-G-E, borage?
1: Yes, I know borage. It's normally okay, borage. pronounced here borage. And borage, very okay. good medicinal. Um, and the flowers are edible on it as well. Uh, it has been an herb garden favorite for thousands of years, probably, along with comfrey and um, bee balm and a lot of other herbs and plants like that, St. John's wort, calendula.
0: So here's a comment, and I maybe it's a, a, a question from Aaron. Um, smudges are typically burnt and used for cleaning with smoke, she's suggesting burning and inhaling the smoke? I don't know whether he's saying that as a question or what. So,
1: Mullein does not give off a dangerous smoke. We don't combine it with anything else and you crumple up the dead leaves you light them with a little bit of something so it's not flaming and you just waft the fumes toward the person. You don't have them like hanging over it, inhaling a lot, but you waft the, f- the fumes of the smudge of just plain mullen towards someone. And for reasons I cannot explain, it does help open up your bronchial tubes so that you can breathe better.
0: What about, um, and Robert just put one in. I'll ask in a second. Several people are saying thank you. By the way, we're getting close to the top of the hour. Some of you I know are going to have to leave, but we'll keep going here with questions. Would you guys throw some ones up if you've enjoyed this, if this was good, and if you'd like Kate to come back with us in the summer and even in the fall to talk about those also? And we're getting a bunch of ones from people. Um, so I'm going to ask one more because it's, again, one that's very persistent. and. I'm curious about again it's early season timeframe which is any of our thistles Canadian Russian Russian all of those and let's say in the first right now I you know I've got some that I know coming up what is there anything edible about those in the early season
1: Well it is a member of the artichoke family and some of the larger thistles can be eaten like an artichoke, that top part before it blooms. However, it's a very difficult process. You've got to clip off all the points. You've got to use leather gloves to get them. Uh, What Again, a thistles are one of those things where you just have to keep pulling them, or you can use a preparation of white vinegar and boiling water, and specifically pour it right on that thistle as it's growing, and that will kill it. Whether it goes to the main root is another question. Okay, I don't know for sure.
0: Um, so. Leslie, who's our Spanish friend, says, forage and many of the others grow right along the walls, which go all the way back to the Roman times. So she's got wow. walls there, they're really cool. Um, so Robert says, by the way, let's just get it. So put your questions in, everybody, because we'll probably end up here pretty quickly. So Robert says, thanks for this presentation. I'm happy to see um, Salsity, it looks so much like grass to me yet. And so I, I would agree with them. That's probably, but I, I actually think I got it today when you showed how it comes out in that star sort of a, a, a feature. I'm going to try to go find some later today. So he's in the Philadelphia area, I know. Um, but how would you prepare the root? Aren't the salsity, um, and I'm saying salsity, but stat, sat, satisfy roots that overwinter tougher? Thanks again.
1: Salsify, if it's allowed to grow large, it will be tougher, but the bigger roots have more um, quote-unquote meat around the the tough inner core and uh, the first-year roots are too tiny to do anything with, so you do have to wait until it gets quite big People do grow Salsify, S-A-L-S-I-F-Y and it's also in the east called oyster plant, and um, the roots supposedly taste like oysters when you get them big enough and can and can cook them. Um, since I'm not back east anymore, I'd have to show you the ones that are out here. But I'll be glad to put up some pictures of saliphy when I do a summer presentation.
0: I'll just. Kind of put it in here real quick and see if we find something.
1: That top salsa bean plant, yep.
0: All right, so here, everybody, you're seeing roots, and and you said something there, and I'm. Let's look at these that are right here. Are you saying that if you were to cook those, did you want to, Do you, do you want to cook the inner core also, the whole thing, or would you take anything out?
1: Okay. I would cook the whole thing. If, if something is too tough to eat, you'll know it and can spit it out later but um, I would keep the integrity of the root and see how they're peeled. Obviously you peel them and in this same uh, presentation you can see that there was one picture that was called oyster plant. That's what I knew it as back east. Here, it's a dark-color flower, and it's a, it's a different taste. But it's still edible.
0: So while I'm pulling this up, um, Aaron, who is a, a pretty good expert in this, and he said something interesting, and you didn't address it, but he says, um, I would like to recommend looking up poisonous Uh, look-alikes. Purslane, for instance, has a look-alike that grows right next to it and then he goes on and says, only eat plants that you can positively identify in two or more field guides.
1: I agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, The one that's the look-alike for purslane, what I do is I have pictures where they're both in the same picture once you see them together, there can be no mistaking it. They're very, very different actually when you look. Uh, the look-alike for purslane um, uh, has a very thin stem. It has flat leaves, and it is um, spurge, and it grows in the garden with purslane, but purslane is very fat and juicy and if you break the stem of each one the purslane has a clear juice and the um, Spurge has a milky juice and even that milky juice if it's on your skin can hurt you So I'm very careful about that and when I get to that part I will definitely show both Wayne
0: I put in the um, search for oyster plant. Does this look familiar now? This is obviously the the vegetative form.
1: No, not at all. These look like Yeah, yeah,
0: I didn't think so. It looks real different, so it's probably something else that people are calling that. Um, So Robert says, pigs will destroy thistles if you can find them where they can dig them up. They really enjoy them. And then he asks a question, how might, and I don't know whether he means tidal, um, how might little stems, I think he means little stems just generally, how might little stems be prepared um, like asparagus, steamed or buttered, or how else?
1: I haven't tried it, but when I pulled up my last uh, thistles just yesterday, I looked at them and thought, huh, I bet these could be prepared just like asparagus. So I, they are not um, inedible. Uh, they're just hard to eat because of being so spiny. But maybe those little roots, which is actually the stem underground, would be tasty. And so I can report back on that, but I haven't had experience with it yet.
0: Okay. And then, again, we're probably going to wrap it up here. We're a little bit over. Um, we'll be patient with any other questions you have in just the last couple sec- minutes here, and then we'll let Kate go. But um, Aaron says, make sure to look up any other potential toxins like the oxalic acid, and, and he makes a good point. Some people are, um, are will react to that. So, and, and Kate mm-hmm. mentioned that also. So, um, all right, anything else from any of you guys before we wrap up here for the day? This was really awesome, um, very helpful for me. And I'm not a plant guy, that's why this is really good for me. I, I can. We'll, we can do a, a fish foraging or an aquatic foraging effort exercise. Maybe we'll even do that at our workshop here over the weekend, and I can show you how to eat snails and different kinds of crustaceans and a whole bunch of other other things. But boy, when it comes to plants, I love to have people like Kate that can give me knowledge that I don't have, and Aaron, you obviously too. And that's the cool thing about our community. Um, so, and and Tony says I'd love that kind of foraging. Maybe we would. Uh, Maybe we'll do one of those sometime. But the thing about aquatic organisms, Tony, is they aren't as universal. They're very temperature dependent, usually. And, and so there'll be some that just can't tolerate really cold water and some that don't tolerate really warm water, so um, that there's a, a little bit more of a, a zonage to them, probably. All right, everyone, thank you for being here. Everybody, a bunch of people are all still here. Thank you, Kate. We're going to have Kate back again and probably try to do a summer and a fall um, time frame also. And uh, Roberts is saying, yes, I'd love to see that. And others are saying the same thing. So I think it's a good time to go ahead, Kate. Any last things from you?
1: Well, I'd love to come back. And um, I think that that caveat about some things being poisonous is a very good one. And I will be glad to cover that in more detail in the next presentation. And thank everybody for being here. I really appreciate it.
0: Well, thank you. And thanks to all the audience. Mark, thank you for helping. And um, we will see everybody on three more of these sessions throughout the day today. So thanks, all. Have a good rest of your day. Bye-bye.